great time. We're having a celebration. Appreciated Gary. That's, that's one of the most positive budget presentations I've ever heard in church. Not that there's heavy competition, but that was really good. I really appreciate, especially that Gary had a positive experience in our new restrooms. <laughs> Us being an open church starts at the top, okay? So thrilled that you're here. While we're celebrating, I want to celebrate what God has done last week in our week of prayer. I mean, it was an awesome week. Talk about vision. If you read the New Testament, you'll see that that church prayed and God acted with power. And I'm happy to report this past week, we prayed and God acted with power. If there's anything I've ever wanted to happen in this church is that we would be a praying church and we could find a reason to gather. And my friends, on Sunday night and Wednesday night, you gathered and we prayed and God's going to do great things. Thank you so much. I'm so excited about where God's going to take us. In fact, let's, let's pray together. Father, thank you for giving us a great week of prayer, Lord. We know your church moves when your people pray. And God, we thank you that we had that awesome week. And Father, I am asking today that this not simply be a week of prayer, but this be a year of prayer and that we get to be a part of you doing great things. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Today we continue our message series on 2020 vision, God's vision for his church. Last week we heard Jesus say very clearly that what he wants us to do is make disciples. That his goal is us for us to be Christ's followers. Today we will talk about the number one and most important thing a Christ follower does. No comparison. The number one and most important thing a Christ follower does. You see, we need this kind of crystal clear clarity because in a church, if you don't have crystal clear clarity, you end up without unity because if not, we divide over all our likes and dislikes, our different interpretations of Scripture. But when we're focused on what unites us, great thing happen. And as a church, unless we know what God has called us to do, we don't know what to do. You ever been a part of an organization that they didn't have a clear vision and they really didn't know what to do or not to do? And In fact, there's a lot of confusion. Uh, watch what this meant when a peewee football team didn't know exactly what to do. Watch it again. <laughs> That's how we look, guys, and we don't know what to do. In fact, Jesus said if we come to him, we ought to be like little children. Just not those children, okay? So today, let's talk about what God has called us to do. Now, the scene we're going to in Scripture, Jesus is crystal clear. It's one of those scenes where the, the uh, religious leaders come to try to trap Jesus. And they've got these series of questions. And they're trying to find some kind of weird way to trap Jesus. And so they ask these odd questions, and Jesus sort of plays along. They first ask him, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? And he holds up a coin and said, I mean, he plays along with them. I mean, whose picture is that? Then they ask him about some dude who's been married seven times and goes to heaven, and who will be his wife then? And Jesus plays along with that. And then a Pharisee gets back up, trying to trap him again. And this is what he asked him in the third question. Verse 36, Matthew 22. Teacher, 
which is the greatest commandment in the law. And Jesus is like a baseball player when a pitcher has thrown a pitch that's right up there for the taking. And Jesus knocks it out of the park. This time he's not playing along. This time he's being crystal clear. Listen closely. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. That's the starting point. And this, listen to me, the starting point is to love God. Now, often when we preach this passage, we quickly go to love people because that's more tangible. I, I, I can feel that, touch that. But today I don't want to go too quickly there because some people who don't love God actually know how to love people. But Jesus says what's first, what comes before everything else, is that you love him. I'm embarrassed to say that I've preached on this passage many times, but I've never just stopped and said, okay, before we go on to the next point, what does it mean to love God with everything within you? Now, Now, let me tell you this. This is a revolutionary point. If you're taking notes, we call this God's revolution. Write down these two statements. God loved us first. Uh, Listen, this this is so radical we forget it. My friends, when you were lost, God came after you. That's the difference in Christianity and every other world religion. In every other religion, man seeks God. He might find him, he might not. The good news of the Christian faith is that God first came after us us. It says in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. He's pursuing you. And then here's how we respond. We love him first. His first was first in time. Our first is first in priority. Our response is to love God before and more than anybody or anything else. God loves us. We love him. And that's why you look on the walls of this building of Landmarks Discipleship Markers. And it all starts with adore God. Because if we don't get that right, it doesn't matter about the rest. We must adore God. You know what's ironic about that? Is that often some of us grew up in churches where that was made fun of. I can remember my first youth ministry job getting in trouble actually because I talked too much about the love of God that was weak stuff that's what other people talked about in fact a good friend of mine said he was told if you want to hear about love go down the street to the Methodist church all right because that's not what we're about and yet Jesus says this is what we are about this is where everything starts with our love for God I like what St. Augustine said Now listen to this quotation. Love God and do what you please. And stop. Whoa, 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 whoa. If I love God and that's what we're afraid of, you're going to love God and go do what you please. Listen to what Augustine says in the rest of the statement. For the soul trained in love to God will do nothing to offend the one who is beloved. Love God you really love God with everything in you, you do everything in your power to please him. 
So we can accurately say, you start off with loving God, and here's the point, everything else flows from this love of God. That's why Jesus says, everything hangs in the law and the prophets on these commands. Let me just give you some examples. Loving people. 1 John chapter 4. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Obedience. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. You see, in defense of the people that criticized us for talking about love too much, what they were afraid of is if all we talk about love, then we're going to all go off and be a bunch of spiritual goof-offs and disobey. But what Jesus said is if we really get love, we'll obey. In fact, I would tell you, if you fall in love with Jesus, you'll obey more conscientiously than if you're just trying to keep some laws. So that flows from loving God. What we did a few minutes ago and what Gary challenged us with in our offering. When, when, when Paul wants to motivate people to give, he doesn't send them on a guilt trip. He says, just look at the love of Jesus. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. And even we talk about sharing our faith, which is the first part we learned last week of making disciples. You're not going to share your faith because you're afraid God's going to be mad at you if you don't. That's a terrible motivation. Why will you share it? For the love of Christ compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. Listen, my friends, it all flows from, first of all, establishing a love relationship with God. We could talk about worship. We could talk about daily quiet times. We could even talk about the model for your marriage. It all comes from God's love. So, that's number one. Now, we get to our next point, which is Satan's rebellion. And this makes a lot of sense. If the most important command is to love God, and everything else in our life should flow from that, then if you're Satan, what do you do? You try to cut it off at the pass. You try to nip it in the bud, because if I can stop you from loving God, I can stop everything good from happening. So you see this statement. Satan will do everything in his power to keep you from a love relationship with God. And right now, even at this moment, he will try to interrupt your thoughts so you don't listen to this message and go home knowing that the one thing God wants from you first is for you to love him. You see, here's what happened. Satan rebelled. I mean, he rejected the love of God, and he was thrown out of heaven. And then when Jesus came into his death, burial, and resurrection, Satan was completely defeated. So he can't face God head on. It's like terrorist organizations in our world today. They don't want conventional warfare with America. They, they would never lose it, tank to tank, army to army, missile to missile, never win it. So what do they do? They, they just try to pick off people, bomb some embassies, make us scared to get on an airplane so it takes us a long time. That's what they do. And Satan, Satan can't come after God face to face. He'd be obliterated. But what he can do is seek in your life 
to interrupt you walking into a love relationship with God. And he'll do everything in his power to do it, including making you uncomfortable with that term. Some of us are just a little uncomfortable saying, I have a love relationship with God. In fact, I've tried all week to think, how could I word it easier? But I don't need to word it different. Because that's what he wants. That's what he said. And the Bible says Satan is like a roaring lion traveling across the world, seeking whom he might devour. So I tell you right now, when we get in this ground, he's going to fight us. So how do we defeat Satan? Well, there's different things that Satan uses in our life. On, on your outline, you see this box. You see it up here. I'd like you to at least work with me on this and fill in this box in. Because there, there's something more than likely that's a barrier to you having a love relationship with God. For some of us, it would be fear, okay? You know, and, and, and the reason I can't be close to God is because, quite frankly, I'm scared of him. When I used to study the Bible with people, the first question I'd ask if they came in my office before we ever opened the Bible, I would throw this question out. I would say, if Jesus were to walk in this room right now, how would you feel? Here's the number one answer. I'd be so scared. Because that's our response to God. And Jesus came to say, you don't need that response. And so some of you, the barrier that's holding you back from God is that you're just, you're just afraid. And Jesus came to, to make God touchable and right with us. So you don't have to be afraid. Perfect love, the scripture says, cast out fear. Some of you, it's guilt. You've just done some bad things in your past. And you think, not only can I get past it, but I can't get past it. But God can. I mean, why would God want to be close to me when i got all this mess in my life? And again, that's why Jesus came, because Jesus took all of your mess and nailed it to the cross, and God didn't even see it. Don't let guilt keep you from having this relationship with God. And then the next thing that might keep you from this relationship with God would be what I would call, you know, performance or obligation. Excuse me. Let's start with obligation. Some of us, we don't have a love relationship with God because the only way we've ever looked at the Christian faith is about obligation. I've got to do this, I've got to do this. I do this, I don't do this. Because that, that's part of the faith, but that's all in response to love. And, and you've been trying to check off all the right lists, and you had not been able to do it, and so you just give up. And God says, don't start there, start with me. And then maybe it's performance. You know, I feel close to God on the days that I perform really well, and then the days where I screw up a few times, I don't feel so close to God. And God says, you know what? I love you on all those days. Or maybe this is the big one today. It's just flat-out busyness. You ever notice that busyness is the opponent of every good relationship? You can't love your children in a hurry. You can't love your spouse in a hurry. You can't love your friends in a hurry. You can't love God in a hurry. And so what Satan does is, like we said over and over from this stage, is if he can't make us bad he makes us busy and why does he make us busy not just to be busy so that I never slow down enough to be loved by God and to love him back so here's the question how how do we do this how do we love God back what's my reception of this and my response I want to approach this in a, a different way today how many of you ever heard of the book the five love languages raise your hand okay it's a really famous book it's helped, helped probably more marriages than maybe any other book written besides the scripture. It was written by a man named Gary Chapman in 1995. 
And here was his idea, was that, that everybody has certain love languages. And that many married couples actually love each other, but they don't know how to communicate. Because what I assume is my spouse wants what I want. I'm a words of affirmation person. So I assume that what Stephanie really needs is words of affirmation. She is a gift person. I don't really care that much about that. Doesn't mean so. But her being a gift person, she thinks I'll just give Buddy all these gifts. And the problem with that is if our love languages don't match, then we miss each other. But when they match, when I take the time, like we said a few weeks ago, to find out what pleases her, or spiritually to find out what pleases God, then I know how to speak her love language. Now, here's the good news. This applies to more than marriage. This is really fascinating to me. But on college campuses today, they have started teaching the five love languages. Not, not for their future marriage, but because of social media boiling relationships down to likes and hearts. On college campuses, not many people are building face-to-face relationships. So they're teaching these five love languages, and it works. And then I saw this the other day. Gary Chapman has come up with a new book that I read this week called God Speaks Your Love Language. I'm going to challenge you today to work in your relationship with God. You say, how does God speak to you? Let me give you the five love languages. Words of affirmation. From beginning to end, God has always been lavish in his expressiveness on how much he loved us. I think of Jeremiah 31, verse 3. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Quality time. What's quality time? That means when someone has your undivided attention. And from Adam and Eve who walked in the cool of the garden with God to Abraham who is close enough to, be, to God to be called, listen to this, the friend of God to David who walked in such relationship with God. He's the man after God's own heart. God is always given quality time. In fact, when you see God come in the flesh, he calls these 12 disciples, and here's what he says, not, not just to teach them, not just to train them, but that he might be with them. So when things got too busy, Jesus always took them aside for quality time. And then number three is gifts. God is the great gift giver. He gives gifts to everybody on this globe. He causes the sunshine to sun to shine on both the righteous and unrighteous, the rain to fall on the righteous and unrighteous, the fog to show up on the righteous and unrighteous, right? He always is giving gifts. John 3, 16, he gave his son. Luke chapter 11, verse 13, Jesus said, if you, though, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who love him? So he gives gifts. And then there's acts of service. Because God knows what we know. Actions speak louder than words. You can say it, but you got to show it. The headline, when Jesus came to this earth, must have been, Jesus came, no, excuse me, God came to this earth, shocking headline, and he is a servant. No one ever thought before Jesus that God came as a servant. And then the op-ed commentary a few months later was, Jesus takes service too far. We caught him on his knees, watching the stinking feet of people 
the commentary says that's beneath God. So God came to serve us. And number five is physical touch. From that wrestling match with Jacob back in Genesis where God wrestles him overnight to he finally gives up on that deceitful spirit to when Jesus comes to this earth and if you notice anything about his ministry is he's always touching people, especially the untouchable. And even today we know that God touches us. We say, I feel the presence of God. We say, I went to that service or I was in my Bible study and God touched me. So I hope you can see these five love languages. Now here's the good news about using these with God is that God speaks every one of these love languages perfectly. So, so whatever's your love language, I'm telling you guys, God's speaking it. And God receives every one of these love languages perfectly. It's not like your wife, where you spend your life trying to figure out what her love language is, and it's always a moving target. You notice my wife is out of town today, okay? <laughs> It could be an even worse moving target if you tell her this. So it's not like that. God, God's going to receive it. So let's, let's try to get really practical here about how you're going to love God back, okay? Words of affirmation. Some of you, that's your love language. You've been doing it over the last hour. You love worship. You're like King David. You do better in a worship setting than any other setting, whether it's publicly or privately. You get lost in worship. That's where you're most connected with God. You're the one thinking, why didn't we sing more? Why is Buddy out preaching already? Come on, let's just, oh, you'd never say that. Let's just worship. And number two is quality time. You go to your quiet time in the morning you spend time with God, and then you have to go to work, and you say, man, I hate I had to get up. I could spend the whole morning with God. It, more than being here today, you love just being one-on-one with God, just talking and listening. Gifts. You understand what Jesus said. When you give a cup of cold water in his name, you're giving it to him. You understand that judgment scene in Matthew chapter 25 where Jesus says, truly, whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers visit the sick, go to prison, befriend the lonely. Whatever you did to the least of these, my brothers, you did for me. And so your love language is to give gifts. You hear about a need, you take out your wallet and you give something. You see someone that's down and you're free with words of encouragement. You're always giving to people. And then number four is acts of service. Back to that passage, Matthew chapter 25, Jesus says, when you serve other people, you're actually serving me. Listen to what that little frail nun who spent her life in India serving the least advantage, Mother Teresa said, when we touch the sick and needy, we touch the suffering body of Jesus. Jesus is the one we take care of, visit, clothe, feed, and comfort. Every time we do this for the poorest of the poor, to the sick, to the dying, to the lepers, the ones who suffer from AIDS. We should not serve the poor because they were Jesus. We should serve the poor because they are Jesus. 
And you're the people that loves to cook when someone's lost a loved one. You love to cut the grass here at the church. You love to go down the inner city. Or you love to go, you know, to, um, down to, to the, the poorest areas of our town. You love to be a part of our mentoring program at Halcyon Elementary. You love being down there with those people at Hope Inspired Ministry, helping them get a new start. You feel closest to God when you're serving. And that's good. And then there's physical touch. We know there's emotional power to physical touch. Jesus knew that. Well, you say, how do, how do I touch God? I touch others as God has touched me. You're the person that loves to visit the hospital and hold somebody's hand when you pray. You like to go to the nursing home and pay attention to that person that nobody else visits. You love to be the greeter out in this foyer, greeting everybody who comes in. In fact, you like to hug them. We have to warn you to give side hugs because we don't want you to get in trouble, okay? <laughs> I mean, you, you just love that physical expression. And even when it comes to worship, you're seeking to touch God back. You're lifting what the scriptures call holy hands. What, what, what does that signify? It signifies surrender to God. It surrenders. It, it signifies, God, I'm trying to give you the same gift of touch that you have given me. So when you look at those, what's your primary love language? There's two questions I want you to think about these last few minutes. What, which of these are most natural for you and God? You know, we, we all are, are different here. Which one of these is most natural for you? Is it worship? Is it words of affirmation? Is it quality time? Is it service? When do you feel closest to God? Now, just like when you discover that love language with your spouse, here's what you do. You play it for all it's worth. When you find out that your spouse really wants gifts, or you found out what they really want is physical touch, even though that's not your thing, you stretch yourself to do that because that's what they want. And so when you find that natural area, now the cool thing about God is if you say any of those five are the most natural way for you to love, bingo, you've, you've, you've touched God. So what's the most natural area? And here's what I want to challenge you to do. Walk out of here. Man, if, if, if you love quality time with God, man, go, go carve out some time. If you, if, you, if you feel closest to God serving, go find somewhere to serve. But here's the second question. Where do you need to stretch? I mean, our challenge as a church is to carry you in a growing relationship with Jesus. Which one of these is not your natural love language, and yet you could express it to God? You know what you love? You know what I love about my wife is when she found out my love languages, even though they weren't all natural to her, she stretched herself to love me that way. And what God's going to love about you is when you say, you know what, God, as much as possible, I want to love you in all of these ways. So the second question is, what is at least one of these areas that you can stretch in? You know, you need to be the person who, maybe worship's not your thing, but you start praying about it on Saturday night. You show up. You get here actually on time on Sunday morning because you don't want to miss a thing. And you begin to worship God, or maybe you're the person that quality time with God, that quiet time is a mind-blowing thing for you, and you're going to have to carve out 15 minutes and put your phone away and have that time with God. Or maybe it's gifts, and you need to up your giving level this year. Maybe it's service, and you need to sign up for one of those areas. Maybe it's physical touch. 
And you need to stretch yourself even in this worship assembly. You feel it, but your hands are like stuck on your legs. This one time, just lift them up and say, God, I want you to have everything. Maybe it's in your prayer life, in your closet. Change your prayer posture. If you always sit, stand, or get on your knees, or fall on your face before God, or lift your hands in there and have the physical touch of God and you responding back. You see, here's the good news. God's pursuing this relationship. Now, here's the question I want you to think about just for a minute. In, in view of these five love languages, how's your relationship with God? Are you practicing these? Have you recognized how much God loves you? And you're not going for perfection, just not some kind of legalistic thing, but man, you love him so much. You want to love him back in every way that you can. Because listen to me again, guys. If we don't love God, it doesn't matter what else you do. So what's that love like? How are you doing in that relationship with God? And here's the good news is he's pursuing you. He never stops loving you. And what you must do is you must begin to love him. And this is, this is going to be a point of maturity. Spirit, here, here's what I believe spiritual maturity. Often we start the Christian life because of what God does for us. Jesus, I want you because you can save me. I want you because you can give me peace. I want you because you can give me the abundant life. Jesus, I want you so I can go to heaven. All good motives, but not the highest motive. The highest motive is I want Jesus because I just want Jesus. If God doesn't give me what I want or if I'm sick or whatever, all I need is Jesus. Jesus is my desire, and that's how we grow, when Jesus is enough. I never forget asking a group of ministers once about some of the trials of their life and what God had taught them. We all had some trials, but one of the one in the circle said, I never knew Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. And my friends, if all you've got today is Jesus, it is enough. So, today, I don't want you to leave here confused. I want you to have crystal clear 2020 clarity. Because a lot of us are confused about this whole thing because there's so many commandments. See, that's what Jesus was dealing with. When, when he said this about two commandments, the Pharisees had made 700 commandments. They were so confused. They didn't really know what God wanted. And my friends, this morning, I hope you can see what God wants first and foremost is for you to love him. Don't be confused. Don't be confused of what he wants. And don't be confused today with where you start. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You see, my friends, there's no question this morning that he loves you. He's proven it by sending Jesus to die on the cross. The only question that hangs in this air this morning is will you, will I, will you love him back? 
Can you imagine not? The God of the universe wants a relationship with you? This is revolutionary. He already has reached out to love you and you were unlovable and I was unlovable? Would you slow down just a minute for me and think, am I loving him back? It's just that simple. And if you're not loving him back and you want the church to pray for you today, that you would discover your love language with God and that you would pursue him. Or if today you're ready to go, you know what? I, I'm, I'm tired of following me. I want to follow him. And I'm going to follow Jesus in the waters of baptism today and start life all over again. I'm telling you what you'll discover. The more you grow is that Jesus is enough. If we could bless you, won't you come right now as you stand and sing?